This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Taking a look today at how ASEAN is doing at the COP26. Global leaders descended in Glasgow for the UN Global Climate Conference. And the world is watching. Lots of targets have been set. Promises have been made. These include an end to deforestation by 2030 and net zero emissions by some nations over the next few decades. But uh, where does ASEAN stand here? Whose voices have we heard? What are they saying and why? Most importantly, what is the road ahead? To dissect all of this, we're now joined by Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Good morning, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Barty. How are you doing? Good morning, Ryan. Now, Leslie, let's talk about how countries like Indonesia and Thailand are approaching this. Developing nations as a whole, whether in ASEAN or outside of ASEAN, have been asking for more support, more investments, more funds in order for them to progress in the fight against climate change. Indonesia, for one, has done so as well. Perhaps you could talk to us about whether or not these asks are reasonable. Because let's face it, it's not just about throwing money at the problem, right? Once you get the money, you need to be able to show that you'll be able to use the money effectively. So let's talk about Indonesia, first of all, as an example. I'm very glad we picked this climate change issue as a top item in this week's show. Indeed, I think President Jokowi's message that he delivered was interesting and it's also timely. Both developed and developing nations need to come together to, with cooperation on finance, technology transfer to tra- tackle this all-important challenge, you know. Indonesia will be a great example because the challenges facing this country, which is a populous nation, are urgent after years of environmental damage you know, on its vast forests and peatlands and also the lack of political reform to push ahead with in the energy sector that remains very reliant on fossil fuels. But to be fair, Indonesia has made some important strides. You know, deforestation in Indonesia has dropped to its lowest levels in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Forest fires were down, which we, you know, we always become targets and victims of, but down 82% in 2020. And the rehabilitation of its mangrove forests are underway. You know, so Indonesia is suggesting that they want to have an electric vehicle ecosystem, you know, build Southeast Asia's most power, largest power plant, and in North Kalimantan, these are all good, you know, and, but the problem with Indonesia is that it still relies on coal production. It's the second largest producer of the resource and it's the biggest seaborne coal exporter. So the noises the country is making are encouraging, but, you know, really the, its reliance on coal will be a, a major issue in the coming years because the energy sector could become the heaviest polluting industry within the next five years. So all of this really goes down to the implementation. You know, uh, countries can make nice noises, but you know, really it's the implementation. Mm. And I think both sides have got to come together and you know, Indonesia needs to be monitored and basically you know, advised that you know, they need to do more on this front. Based on your observations, how ready do you think Indonesia is to address this on their side, to address implementation issues, for example, to address systemic issues that might actually be holding back progress? Well, you know, the thing is that clearly there are efforts that are underway, like we pointed out earlier. But I think, you know, we, you need to see both the developed and developing countries coming together. You know, Indonesia, I think, like I said, provides a great example because of the huge challenges. So if these countries 
the richer countries, the countries can actually come together and get Indonesia onto a particular program, you know, with finance and with technology help. That would be a great example to set, you know, and which is something, a template that others can follow, actually. Mm. When we talk about richer nations, are you specifically talking about richer nations within ASEAN or as a whole, the global community? As a whole, as a whole you know, as a whole. I think, you know, we, we this, this is something that needs to have a completely global effort, actually. Mm. Within ASEAN, can the richer nations within the region start the ball rolling in any way in order to encourage the others? Well, I think, you know, you know, we have countries that are already signatories of the Paris Agreement, you know, which is an all-important agreement, a United Nations framework on climate change that mandates all members must reduce greenhouse emissions. Uh, Singapore is a, is a signatory, so is Thailand and Indonesia, you know. And I think maybe perhaps Singapore could take the lead for in this region, actually, in, in pushing and in sort of like uh, nudging countries like Thailand and Indonesia forward on this. That would be, clearly that would be a major thing for, for ASEAN. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now back to our podcast episode. Thailand has also been making the headlines when it comes to the climate change issue. I mean, of course, Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-cha gave a speech at the conference. And like Jokowi, he also said that Thailand is willing to step up its level to achieve net zero by the middle of the century if it receives the necessary funds and technology from richer nations. I think we've already established that the richer nations need to do more. But specifically in Thailand's case, it has made quite a bit of progress in terms of lowering emissions. Tell us more about where they are at the moment and how much help will they need? Well, you know, while you know, Thailand has made a lot of improvements, actually, because it's a signatory and they've, they've done quite, quite a bit to keep within those uh, with what, what the agreement dictates. It is set, the country has set a target of having something like 15 million electric vehicles on the roads by 2035 as part of the strategy to lower greenhouse gases emissions. And they, they've set up a number of other strategies too, you know. Mm-hmm. But like Indonesia, these are very encouraging pronouncements. And I think there is a positive sign in Thailand. But uh, like we said earlier, it will all boil down to political will and implementation. It's not easy, especially in Thailand where, you know, they have huge political problems, economic problems. And when you're faced with these kind of challenges, demands on climate change kind of fall back in the list of priorities. So it's it's really important that I think neighboring countries, global countries actually push governments to keep keep climate change issues, you know, high on their priority list. Mm. I think it's a good point, right, that you know, amid so many other challenges, the climate issue tends to get stuck on the back burner quite often. When you talk about nations working together to keep it at the top of the agenda, is there any precedent that we can look to countries that have done so in spite of the political challenges that they face domestically or economic I, challenges? You know, yeah. Sadly, no. You know, I can't think of any countries. Mm, it's that, tough, right, uh, Leslie? Yeah. Exactly. You know, mm. Especially in times like this, governments are they face the health crisis and the numerous economic challenges you know that and really getting people back on their feet is the main issue so you know t- climate issues tend to tend to fall back take coal for example you know it's going to be tough 
for industries to break their reliance on coal and when you need to jumpstart the economy. So these things are going to be always going to be how you're going to balance these various demands. And like I said, I think pressures, uh, there needs to be pressure to keep climate change on the front pages and actually keep people really aware of what the serious challenges facing all countries are. Mm. And since we are talking about serious challenges, political and economic challenges in general in the region, I think we should get an update from you on something that we have been talking about off and on in the past few weeks. Myanmar. Myanmar's junta chief, Min Ong Hlaing, appeared on state TV this week calling for self-reliance amid political criticism. At the same time, of course, there are reports of information combat where the military government is allegedly using fake social media accounts to denounce the opposition. What are some of the implications of these moves? To what extent is this really a sign that all of this could really degenerate in the coming weeks and months? Clearly, this it shows yet another very, very interesting twist in this ongoing saga between the conflict between the, the rebels and the military government. Clearly, it shows that strong arm tactics are not working and the military is now trying the soft approach. It has asked thousands of soldiers to try and come up with um, not only monitor dissenters, attack them online, soldiers are asked to create fake accounts, give content segments, talking points, and this is interesting. You know, they're trying to use this, use the social media, which is a very, very important tool of communication in Myanmar, to basically counter the rebels. And, you know, we're gaining ground from what we understand. But this is not going, this is not going without any response. The, the rebel groups are fighting fire fire, using similar methods, creating duplicate accounts and making anti-Juta hashtags on Twitter trend. So, and like I said, it is this, these campaigns can be very effective. It is going to be, it's going to see which side's going to get the upper hand in the coming weeks. And it's going to be this battle in social media, you know, while there are going to be flashpoints on the ground. But uh, at this point in time, clearly they're turning their eyes onto the social media to, to wage a battle. Mm, and I'm sure a lot of people will be watching how this unfolds in the coming days and weeks. Thank you very much for that, Leslie. Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.